Well, welcome. Thank you for being here with us tonight. Kids, we want to especially welcome you into our space. We are so glad that you are here. And uh, we hope that this can be a place where you feel like you belong, where you feel like this is a place where you can be. Parents, I know this can be challenging after a long day at school or early in the morning and kids are fidgety. Uh, I want you to know two things. Your kid cannot whisper louder than I can talk in this microphone. And if anyone looks grumpy at you, you just come tell me afterwards and I'll go look grumpy at them at the end of service. So we are so glad that your kids are here. But if they're just too squirmy and you're like, I can't take this, we do have some couple of stations right outside the sanctuary. We would love for you to use that to, take, uh, to let your kids go play and you can still hear everything clearly from out there. Kids, if you did not yet grab a bingo sheet or if you're an adult kid, and you're like, you know, if I had a bingo sheet, I could pay attention better. You can go grab one. I don't know if Sherry will give you a prize at the end of the night or not. That's a whole different thing. But if you want to complete the bingo sheet, adults, you're welcome to as well. Also, if this is your first or second time, we're so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, if you're trying to figure out who Jesus is and continuing to explore that, we are honored to walk that journey with you. And we're just thankful that you're here. We're going to be taking a look at the book of Ephesians tonight. Again, and uh, for some of you who are new, that might be hard, or you might not know what, it, what is an Ephesian. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, again, it's in the second half of the Bible. If you don't have an app on your phone, you want to open up the Bible there in front of you, you can. So as we begin this week, my question for you is, how many of you remember from kindergarten, right? We all learned the only things we need to learn in life. We learned in kindergarten. We learned how to share. We learned all those things, how to be, play with others. How many of you can remember what the golden rule is? Anybody know it? I heard somebody say it. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you or treat others as you would like to be treated. That's super easy, right? We just say that. It's like no big deal. How many of us live that way? If you got to be a fly on the wall of my life, would you see me live out the golden rule? Would you see me treat other people the way I want to be treated? And before you get too excited about getting to be a fly on the wall of my life, what if I got to be a fly on the wall of your life? Would I see you living out the golden rule? Would I see you treating others the way you wanted to be treated? So as we dive into Ephesians in week eight of this series, I did have to look that up on the internet to figure out just exactly how many series, how many nights we'd been in or weeks we'd been in Ephesians so far, but it's week eight. And we're talking about maybe one of the most controversial passages of scripture in our culture and in our day. And so I don't know if it'd be controversial to you, but if it is, I want to ask you to lean in tonight. I know sometimes when Zach and I talk, we're aware of this because we do it to each other. You zone out. Sometimes you fall asleep. That's okay. Jesus still loves you and we do too. We understand. We are not that entertaining sometimes. But tonight I want to ask you to stay focused because I think we've got to dig into an argument that, or into a discussion that's sometimes hard to get at. And again, if you're here for the first time and you're like, this is what we're going to talk about. I did not want this on my first time back in church. 
I'm just going to ask you to walk with us, show us a little bit of patience, and let's see where we can get together. But I think what this passage shows us in Ephesians holds true to two of our core values. One of the things that we really value here at Calvary is that we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we take God very seriously. And that means we don't get to pick and choose the easy stuff. Doesn't mean we just get to preach on the fun passages or we just get to look at the fun parts of the Bible or the cool stories. Sometimes we gotta dig into the hard stuff that makes us think. And the other core value that this hits is we wanna serve other people by being spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. And maybe this passage we're gonna look at in Ephesians might show us more about what it means to be a spiritual contributor, to be someone who helps out and serves others more than any other passage in the Bible. So if you've got your phone, go ahead and open up your Bible app to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, or if you don't, or you like the paper Bible, open. there's some provided in the back of the pew there in front of you, or you can open up your own that you bought to Ephesians, brought to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Now, eight weeks is a long time, So we're not going to ask you to name what we've talked about for the last seven weeks. I'm just going to give you a really quick overview of where we've been. If you're new and you're wondering what's Ephesians, it's a letter in the New Testament. Paul is the author of it. Paul is a Jew in the first century. He was a guy who went around killing Christians. And then he had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus changed his name, gave him a new mission. He ends up writing half half of the second half of our Bible. And this is a letter he writes to a church in a city called Ephesus. That city's on the coast in Turkey. You can actually look it up on a map and still find Ephesus in modern-day Turkey today. And so he's writing this letter, and he's writing the letter to tell the church in Ephesus to remind them, first of all, in the first three chapters, he reminds them of all that God has done for them. There's only one verb in the first three chapters of this letter that Paul writes that tells us what we're supposed to do. And that's belief. Other than that, God and Jesus do all the work in Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. But now we're in the second half. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. There's 4, 5, and 6. We're in the middle of chapter 5 tonight. And where we're at now is our response to what God has done. So essentially, Paul's saying, hey, be reminded of who you are. Be reminded of who God says you are. Be reminded of what God has done for you. And then in light of that, live with gratitude back to God this way. Doing what God has asked you to do, living in a way that brings honor to God, and do that through the power of the Holy Spirit who comes after you believe. Jesus is who Jesus says he is. And so that's kind of where we're at tonight. And so everything we're looking at sets on the foundation of who God is and what God has done and who God says we are. And it's out of that that Paul writes these words to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I told you it was going to get fun tonight. For he is the head of, for Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives submit to your husbands in everything. 
For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life for her to make her clean, holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love to himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to the wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I can't wait till one day when I'm the senior pastor and I get to leave all the tough passages for the associate. Zach, when you watch this online, thanks. I think the core of this entire section of Scripture rests in that first verse that we just read. And if you hear nothing else I say tonight, this one thing, our submission to each other allows the world to see God's love clearly. Our submission to each other allows the world to see God's love clearly. I hope this powerful truth is what resonates with you as we keep digging into this passage. Because the truth is, in verse 21, Paul says, this is for everybody. All of you are to submit. All of you. It doesn't matter who you are, how much authority you think you have, or how special you think you are. No one gets out of this one. Mutual submission should be our posture in all of our relationships. Listen to it just in case you don't believe me. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul's talking to everybody. Each and every one of us, mutual submission is born out of our relationship with Jesus. We submit because we fear and respect our creator. We submit because he is our example. And it should be clear that there's no one exempt from this. There's no group of privilege. All who call themselves followers of Christ are called to submit to each other. This theme is found all throughout the pages of Scripture. No matter who you are or who the author is, we see it everywhere. Many of the authors talk about living with an attitude of self-giving and of humility and even a willingness to die for the other. Paul makes this clear in Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, when he says, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better 
than yourselves. Don't look only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. I don't know about you. There are days I'm pretty sure I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. And if you stick around long enough, I might tell you that. And maybe I could convince you of it. Probably not, but maybe. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, live humbly. Think about others being better than you are as you submit your desires to their desires. As you surrender your will to their will. As you work to compromise And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In this kingdom of God that as Christ followers we live in, it's an upside down kingdom where the first shall be last and the last shall be first. One author put it this way as I was reading, in the end, submission is nothing more than a decision about the relative worth of another person. A manner of dying and rising with Christ and a way to respect and love other people. Can we go back to that first slide? Let that first half set in. In the end, submission is nothing more than a decision about the relative worth of another person. What are the people in our lives worth? Are they worth our ego? Are they worth caring about? Are they worth giving ourselves for? Paul says if you're a follower of Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, then mutual submission is the expectation It's a way that we show reverence and awe and obedience to what God has done for us. Each and every one of us has this calling on our lives to live in submission to those around us, to humble ourselves and to serve, to get outside of our comfort zone for the benefit of the other. I wonder how much more attractive would Christianity be if we actually lived that way? If our neighbors who don't believe in Jesus actually saw us trying to serve them, not for any gain of our own, but going way outside of of what's culturally expected for their benefit, how would that change things? And I think this next section of Ephesians, if you take a look at it, are three really common relationships that Paul says, this is what it looks like to live in mutual submission. Husbands and wives, kids and parents, Slaves and masters, employee and employer. These three relationships are what it looks like in practice, in reality, to live in mutual submission to one another. Now, before we dive any further, 
in a crowd the size that will be here this weekend, I am 100% sure that this passage has been used to hurt some of you, to belittle you, to make you feel inferior, or to just bully you into submission. And maybe if it hasn't happened to you, it's happened to somebody you love and their name's in your mind right now, and you're glad they're not here because you're not sure how they'd respond to a sermon about submission. And if that's you, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry that's happened. The truth is, Christians, followers of Jesus, we mess up. Every single one of us messes up. And sometimes when we mess up, we twist God's perfect and good plan for our lives, and we use that against other people. And so I'm sorry if that's happened to you, but I want to ask you, don't reject the God who knit you together, the God who loves you, the God who died on a cross for you, and don't reject the truth of his word just because a broken person used it to manipulate you. Because that's not God's fault. That's our fault. What this passage is not saying, and I understand the times we live in, we have to make clear what this passage is not saying. It is not saying in any way, shape, or form that women are inferior to men. I have had incredibly talented and incredibly gifted women who have invested in my life, who, have, who are the reason that I am here today, who I am eternally thankful for. It's also not saying that all women in all places, in all circumstances, should live in submission to all men. Paul's talking about one specific relationship here, husbands and wives. And lastly, what this passage is not saying, it is not condoning abuse of any form, in any place, in any way, by anyone ever. That's not what Paul's getting at as he writes to the Ephesians. But what he is saying is this, and I want to unpack this. So look again, if you've got your Bibles there, at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And we're going to jump a little bit around. We're going to take a look at what he says to the wives. Then we're going to take a look at what he says to the husbands. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, I need to tell you something. I've been married for 20 years. My wife is an incredible woman, and I have never once, without it dripping in sarcasm, said to her, submit. There's a couple reasons for that. If you know my wife... 
She's an incredibly dynamic and gifted and talented woman, but she's also part Italian and a little feisty. So I'm not really sure what would happen if I actually did say that to her. But that's not the purpose of this verse. Remember, we just came out of this mutual submission. So whether you're married or single or not, we submit to each other. That's what Paul says before he gets to any of this. And then he gets to wives. Wives, your submission is not and never should be blind agreement. It should not be about him putting a ring on your finger at a wedding altar and you checking your brain at the door and the altar. Your submission should never ever accept the status quo from your husband. Your submission and your love for him and your respect for him should push him to be more like Christ every day. Should challenge him and should show him the love that Christ has for him in the way that you honor and respect him. Your submission should never require you to put your husband's desires above Christ. And it should never, ever, ever cause you to act out of fear. Because John in his letter, 1 John says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Love and fear are opposites. If you're afraid, you're not being loved. Biblical submission. Submission one to the other. Submission wives to your husband is a divine calling of the wife and affirms her husband's leadership and help carry through according to his gifts. It's an attitude that you're asked to choose. It's actually designed from Genesis chapter 2 when God watches Adam and says, it's not good that man be alone. And what's the next thing? I should make a helper for him. And we in our culture look at that word helper and we think that means inferior in some ways or subservient in some ways. The only other time the Hebrew word helper is used in the Old Testament is in relationship to God, the Creator. So there is no way that word carries with it one ounce of inferiority, one ounce of lacking. It is used to describe the perfect God who came and loved us who came and died on a cross for us, who knit us together, who holds the world in the palm of his hands. For him and guys, for our wives, our helpers. Why? Why live this way? Paul says this is the weird part. This is actually not about marriage. This is about Christ and the church. And when we live this way, an unbelieving world looks and we show them the love that Christ has for them. And so wives, as you respect 
as you love, as you mutually submit to your husbands, you're showing the world all around you the love of Christ. That's what we're each called to do. As we mutually submit, whether in our marriage, in our parenting, to our coworkers, to our neighbors, we show the world around us the love of Christ. Husbands, buckle up, it's our turn. For husbands, this means love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. My wife's submission is not permission for me to be a jerk, abusive, or fill in your negative adjective. The truth is, these things come from our own insecurities, guys. It comes from a lack of belief that God is who he says he is and that he believes the things about us. We, don't, we choose not to believe that. And so then in our insecurities, we lash out. Paul's words here are, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. God sent his one son, Jesus Christ, into this world for one purpose, to die for the church. He sent him into this world to live, to call people to follow him, to be arrested in a garden, to be tortured, to be publicly humiliated as he died on a cross. Because he loved us. Husbands, men in the room, this is what mutual submission looks like for us. A dying to our own selves, a willingness to give up our lives for our spouses, a willingness to serve in a way that hurts so deeply. I wonder, men, if we would love like this, if maybe we wouldn't have an issue with the other side. True biblical leadership should cause us to seek ways to actively show love to our spouses, to sacrifice our desires to meet their needs, to listen to her wisdom and counsel for decisions. Practically in my life, there is one story that I don't know that I will ever forget to the day I die that shows me what this looks like between Corey and I, my wife. The day I got the phone call that Calvary had offered me a position here, Corey and I had been praying for nine months. We'd laughed, we'd cried. We'd prayed, we'd asked God for clarity. God, is this what you want? That's the only thing we really wanted to know. Just make it clear that this is what we wanted. 
that this is what God wanted. We got the call. I got off the phone. I said, I need a little time to talk to Corey. We looked at each other. We didn't know what to do. I called my collegiate advisor, who was one of my mentors, who had been praying for us. And I said, Dr. Bieberstein, we've only asked for one thing. We've asked that God would make this move clear. And I'll never forget what he asked me. What's Corey think? And we were sitting in our bedroom. And I looked over at her sitting on the bed. I was sitting in a chair. And she said, I have a sense of peace. And he was on speakerphone and he goes, I guess you know what you're supposed to do. You see, for Corey, this was a move away, 10 and a half hours away from her parents who live 50 minutes from us. I'm not sure my mother-in-law had the same sense of peace. They used to drive down and watch the boys play soccer. They'd come down for Saturday lunch. We'd go up for Saturday lunch. It wasn't just about what I wanted. I didn't even know what I wanted. It was about mutually coming together and listening to each other, praying together, wrestling with this together, and making a decision together. That's what this looks like. That's what this mutual submission, this wives submit, this husband's love, it looks like that. Practically in our everyday lives, Please don't hear me tell this story and think that we are perfect because I am kind of a jerk some days. She will tell you lots of stories about that. But it's about figuring out how we can serve, how we can use our own gifts, our own talents about having a conversation to make this work. It sounds something like this. Corey says to me, I will do any household chore except laundry. And I said, then you get to do dishes because I don't believe that any one person should have to do dishes and laundry in any house. They never end, either one of them. Hey, I just folded the last clean shirt. All the laundry's done and somebody takes something off, puts it down the laundry chute and I'm like, oh. And the minute she fills the dishwasher and runs it. I grab another glass, drink from it, and put it in the sink. Right? They never end. It's about us talking about that and figuring out who's going to do what. It's about us using our gifts. I am not, hear me say this, I am not detail-oriented. Not my strength. Balance a checkbook, I have zero clue how. When she dies, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I hope I'm already in heaven, right? But big picture, I can see the vision. So I said, hey, why don't I put together our budget? And she goes, why don't I pay the bills every week? That's a great idea. You're a math teacher. You're probably better at math addition and subtraction than I am. And that's what it looks like. It's how do we outserve one another? How do we outgive one another? How do I make sure that when I know Corey's coming home from a long day at work, that maybe the dishwasher's already running? That doesn't happen very often, but maybe. 
I don't know what it's going to look like in your lives. You guys have to figure that out. You can't make your marriage look like mine. I can't make my marriage look like yours. But I know it has to be about mutual submission. It has to be about love. It has to be about working together. It has to be about trying to serve. Maybe you're here and you're like, I've been married for 40 years and I really wish I'd heard this sermon 39 years ago. You know what they say, the best day to plant a tree was 25 years ago so you could sit in its shade. And the second best day to plant a tree is today. So I don't care if you've been married 50 years, 25 years, two weeks, it's not too late. And if you're thinking about marriage, or when you get to that point and you're thinking about marriage, be thinking about these concepts. What's it mean to mutually submit to each other, to try to outserve one another? Because it's not about your marriage. Paul says that it, this is not about marriage. This is about understanding how much God loves us and living into that love. It's about showing that love to a world who needs to know there's a God who loves them. The kids are playing bingo and some of you are just waiting because you're like, how when is he gonna talk about his workout thing? Because it seems like the only thing he and Zach talk about. So at the gym we're going to right now, we do this exercise called surrenders. And as I was doing surrenders this week, I couldn't help but think about the sermon. And I couldn't help but think about how this concept applies. So I want to show it to you. This might be disastrous. I don't know what it'll look like on video, so we'll see how this goes. But a surrender looks something like this. Put your hands behind your head, drop down to your knees, and then you stand back up. And then when you think, okay, I've got that. It's not that hard. I can do this. They're like, pick up a dumbbell. So you pick up the dumbbell. Hold the dumbbell just like this, and you do the same thing. Down, down, up, and up. But you see, I don't think what Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians is about doing surrenders alone. So if you will invite my oldest son, Josiah, up on stage with me, he is not happy about this, so give him a little enthusiasm there. Woo! So I think Paul says we're supposed to do surrenders together in community. So we grab it like this. I'll give you the carpet square. I don't know why. Your knees are a lot younger than mine. And we drop down to one knee and then to the other, and then we stand back up. And surrenders are a lot better when we do them together. But I think if that's the point you get out of the sermon, we've missed it. Because I think what surrenders really are about is taking the burdens of those we love and saying, you know what? I'll carry your burden and we'll do surrenders. One more time. Down and up. Because we remember that when we take the burden of another, we remember that Christ carried the burden for us. 
one that's way bigger than anything we can own or we can carry on ourselves. You can have a seat, buddy. But that's the truth of the gospel, is that Jesus came down, submitted himself to the cross in order to show us how much he loved us. He picked up what we couldn't pick up. He carried what we couldn't carry. He walked with us carrying our burden that we can't carry so that as his followers, we could pick up somebody else's burden. We could give up our own rights, our own will, and we could love them well. I think that's the message of the gospel. Submitting is countercultural. Serving may not get you ahead in this life. However, it might be the clearest way, church, for us to actually talk about the gospel to somebody who doesn't believe it. So if you're here for the first time tonight and you're wondering who Jesus is, Jesus is the one who came and gave it all to show you how much he loves you, to show me how much he loves me. And in that, and as a result of that, we get the opportunity to walk along somebody else, alongside somebody else, to sacrifice our desires and our wants and our will for their benefit. Will you pray with me? God, I ask that you would humble us. God, that you would remind us of the work that you have done. That you'd remind us of all that you gave up so that we could be in relationship with you. God, and that you would help us to do the same for those who you've called us to love. God, that we would walk in humility and submission to those around us so that they could come to know the God who died on a cross for them. So that they could come to know how deep and how wide your love is. God, make us grateful. Grateful for what you've done. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.